1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey everyone, this is James, one of the creators of Halcyon, the book of Pyman, and the voice of our mysterious professor. This podcast has been a labor of love and it's been about three years in the making. I just wanted to come on and say, on behalf of everyone here at Pyman Media, thank you all so much for your love and support of our pot... uh, our audio play. We're hoping to share the world of Halcyon with a broader audience. Hey, big shout-out to all of our listeners in the UK, France, and Belgium. That was a very, very welcome surprise. But I do have a small favor to ask, friends. Help us get the word out. You know the routine. Like, subscribe, share. Recommend this to your friends and family. Hell. Even recommend this to someone you don't particularly care for. Just as long as the word gets out. And again, thank you all so much for the support. And enjoy the show.
2: Halcyon, the Book of Paimon, is a fantasy horror podcast inspired by historical events and characters. This work of fiction was designed, developed, and produced by a multicultural team of various religious faiths and beliefs. Professor Paimon lives in a dangerous world, and his story contains themes of violence, gore and attempted sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised.
3: Chapter 3 The Smoking Mirror They sat in Calliope's temporary lodgings, a tent near the costume wagons behind the red-striped big top. Calliope sat on the edge of a small wooden stool, looking up expectantly at her uncle. The paper that Gideon had delivered back at the brownstone was growing warm in her hand. Sydney made a face as she gave it over.
1: Oh, an invitation to a party at the the Edgerton's.
2: Those Edgertons, yes. I was in classes with Luella Edgerton back in eighth and ninth years, before Dr. Grisham had me change schools again. We were close friends, but how lovely for her to think of me. But may I go, Uncle Sidney? I've never been invited to a party like this before.
1: I'm not sure, young lady. How do these things work? Shouldn't you have an escort or a chaperone of some kind? Is it proper that you should go alone? Ah, there's a show that evening and I simply cannot accompany you. Oh, don't bother yourself about that. My dear
3: man... He seemed to materialize out of the shadows of the tent. The professor, looking smartly dressed as always. He stood by the entrance and removed his bowler hat and held out his hand. To which Sidney almost automatically placed the invitation.
1: You see, I've been hired out as entertainment at that very same party. It seems the Edgertons seek to impress, so I'm to read minds and find lost things. Perhaps a bit of magic. It should be quite a time. But what about your duties here? Sir? How will you be in two places at once, I wonder? Eli will run the sideshow in our tent. It will give him something else to do besides bang nails into his nose.
3: With a wave of his hand, the professor signaled that the conversation and any ensuing arguments and queries were over. Sidney made a face, but clamped his mouth shut. Calliope hadn't noticed many people who were willing to argue with the professor. Pyman tilted his head, as if daring Sidney to pipe up. But of course, the other men kept silent. The professor drew in a breath, and then turned to Calliope. Even her misgivings about the mysterious head of the sideshow couldn't crush the thrill she felt at being asked to what would be, as the newspapers would report, one of the great society events of the summer.
2: So, I'll accompany you then, Professor? Or you'll accompany me?
1: Yes, my dear. And I trust you'll need something to wear to this event.
3: As he spoke, the beautiful sisters, Feodora and Feodosia, appeared at the entrance of the tent. Even in the dim light of the tent, their skin seemed incandescent, radiating a glow that only seemed stronger as they neared the professor.
1: Mm. My lovely girls will help outfit you suitably. They know much more about ladies' fashions than I. So, I will leave you in they capable.
3: He took one of the twins' hands and kissed it.
1: And exquisite.
3: He repeated the same with the other.
0: Hands. Come with us, little one.
3: Pyman disappeared into the crowd towards the thoroughfare, with Sydney trailing after him, racing to match his steps and going on about ticket sales for the matinee. Calliope glided along with Feodora and Feodosia, listening intently as they pointed out other performers and tents, wagons, and discussing how unusual was that their professor was going off to a party to perform. He much preferred the crowds and being surrounded by his wonders, both of persons and of artifacts. Yes, very unusual indeed, but his motivations were clearly his own. They made their way to a large wagon on the edge of the camp. No crowds, not even the roustabout's tents were here. For all the world, it needed paint, and the steps creaked out of their feet. Theodosia unlocked the door and left it open, as if to air it out while her sister opened windows to let in the sunlight.
0: Oh... It's been quite ze vile since we've been here. Oh, yes. This was your mother's wagon, little one. My... My mother's? Duh. She was our costume mistress before you were born. Oh, she made the most stunning things. We still wear her outfits sometimes, on special nights.
3: Cleopie felt the tears springing to her eyes. And it wasn't because of the dust in the neglected wagon. She reached out for a bodice. Peacock Blue and beaded with gold and silver spangles, touching something that her mother had touched. Her mother, Enda's hands, had done this work. Her fingers had moved over this material, feeling its softness, touching each bead Marvelina at its colors the way Calliope did now. Feodora took her hand and gave it a light squeeze while Feodosia repeated the gesture on Calliope's other side. The sisters' lithe fingers moved across the hanging garments as the twins seemed to wordlessly communicate with the exception of Sigh or a breath, as if the occasional dress or costume seemed to hold a memory. Finally, Theodora settled on the same peacock blue satin, the one that had first drawn Calliope's eye. She held it up for her sister's approval.
0: I think. This is perfect for you, little one. It's like it was waiting for you. So many things have been waiting here for you. Yes, we'll get you a proper skirt and boosel. And you will steal the show with our dear professor tomorrow night.
3: Klaipi stood still while the twins fussed and measured and pinned, trying not to cry, but feeling as close to her mother as she ever had. In this space, surrounded by things that her mother and, uh, who had died shortly after Clive was born, had made with their own two hands. The beautiful twins sang and flitted around her like the fairy godmothers from a book of children's stories while Calliope crafted the narrative in her mind. Yes, she must write this down. Perhaps she was here to Collects stories, not make them. All these people, they knew. They knew her family. Her lost mother. Her father, gone too soon. Could they tell her who she was? And from when she came? Could it be? that this circus could be her home. A home that had been waiting for her
1: all along.
3: storm clouds loomed in the distance off the coast of New York City. Calliope had pensively watched the gathering maelstrom with concern, leaning against the door of the professor's wagon. The smell of ozone was evident as lightning cracked across the sky, followed by the bone rattling concussion of a thunderclap. She shuddered involuntarily against the chill of the wind which pricked at her cheeks. Cold, even for a summer storm. She wrapped her arms across her chest as Paimon's voice pulled her from her tense vigil of the distant weather.
1: Come in, my dear. Is everything all right? Do we need to go over your instructions one last time?
2: Oh, no, sir. I was just thinking how the storm might impact the Edgertons' party attendance, is all.
1: Oh, my sweet girl. When the word was spread through the upper crust of society that the Edgertons had managed to contract the elusive Professor Pyman, purveyor of the peculiar, for a one night only performance. Nothing not even the flood could keep them away.
3: Theodora and Theodosia had busied themselves that afternoon since helping to outfit Calliope by dusting and polishing various items in the professor's wagon whilst he painstakingly went over Calliope's role for the evening. Although she was an invited guest, she was to assist the professor in tonight's performance. He had gone through the cues he would give her as she chose guests for various readings and questions. Scratch of the nose, carefully chosen word. Now, the hour was growing near and she made her way towards Pyman's large oak desk. In the lamplight, his tall figure filled the back of the wagon. He faced Feodora who stood on her tiptoes tying his cravat with expert fingers. With his back to Calliope, he called to her from over his shoulder.
1: Once more, what is your task tonight? I want to make sure you fully understand.
3: Calliope had always fancied herself a good student. She recited the professor's instructions flawlessly watching him nod with an almost fatherly approval. Initially, she had been surprised by the arrangement. Why didn't he choose to take the mysterious Hestia, or one of the lovely twins, as his assistant? But the professor had been most insistent that she was the only woman for the job.
1: Very good, Miss Calliope. We have several important tasks tonight. I am most obliged by your kind assistance. And you do look lovely.
3: Planked by the smiling twins, the professor offered Calliope his hand.
1: Are you ready, dear girl? For what this night?
3: The Edgerton's sprawling townhouse was bustling with excitement as the evening's festivities were well underway. Champagne brought in by a boat from France was flowing. The popping corks of fresh bottles were echoing throughout the lavish four-story townhome. Priceless antiques, family heirlooms, and the latest and most exquisite artwork adorned the walls and shelves of one of New York's most affluent family homes. Maintained for Mr. Adgerton when he was in the city on business, we yes, were still arriving the clatter of carriages drowned out by the storm and driving rain most were drenched from head to toe as they entered the party surveying the damage the rain had caused their attire men and women alike lamenting at the ruination of their once fine silks and top hats
1: but after a couple
3: glasses of that Fine champagne, wine, or brandy, their previous wardrobe cares quickly dissipated. The attendees were milling about the main foyer of the large townhome. The smell of cigar smoke hung thick in the air. The social elite of New York were exchanging pleasantries and catching up on the latest gossip from their respective social circles when there was a sudden flash of light followed immediately by the deafening echo of thunder from the storm outside. The walls seemed to shake from the sound sending chandeliers swaying before all the lights inside of the stately townhome suddenly went out. Gasps and Small screams of confusion and surprise reverberated throughout the space. Glasses clinked, one or two shattered, and mutters and mumbles of party gores quickly morphed into higher pitches teetering on the edge of panic. This new technological advance, electricity, was finicking the best weather. So the servants quickly sprang into action. They were well versed in getting the lights back in working order. They were steady about their work, setting out candles and oil lamps, kept in reserve for just such an occasion. In no time at all, the candles and lanterns were in their place, lending an intimate and somewhat eerie ether to the affair timothy the distinguished butler of edgerton's home for the last 20 years was giving the silent order to the servants to keep lighting candles he stepped forward the flickering tip of a struck match in his hand edging closer to the wick of a large wall sconce when a great gust of wind hurtled through the home extinguishing all of the matches in the servants hands and a majority of the freshly lit candles. As the rush of air dispersed, the flustered guests grew still silent. In the far corner of the large room, a single candle lit all its own. Suddenly... Every candle in the home flickered to life and blazed bright like the sun as another round of lightning and thunder rumbled through the chests of all in attendance. The fireplace burst in flame in the main room as the shape of a man, clad in a black suit materialized in the center of the room. Two fingers from his right hand slid down the brim of his black bowler hat while he bowed, gesturing widely with the cane in his left.
1: Good evening.
3: A loud thud was heard in the otherwise silent space as Mrs. Eleanor B. Prescott wife of publishing mogul, Fergus Prescott, swooned into the arms of the nearest footman.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. The presence of a woman, an elderly woman, kind, with a very kind face. The
3: professor's eyes were closed as he addressed the crowd. Mrs. Prescott had recovered from her fainting spell and had since graciously agreed to participate As a volunteer for this evening's entertainment.
1: I see a small animal. A dog. I'm sensing an R. Reginald. A little terrier who belonged to a woman. Yes, I feel her. She is here. Yes. She is here in this room with us. You were named for her. Your grandmother. Eleanor. Ellie. She called you Ellie. Her. petite. Rayon d'Etoile. Little ray of starshine. Isn't that right, Ellie?
3: Pyman opened his eyes and set his gaze on Mrs. Prescott, whose own eyes were wide with shock and wonder. He took two steps forward towards her. Extending his hands. He took the older woman's hands into his own. His tears welled in her eyes. The tears began to roll down Mrs. Prescott's weathered cheeks as she shook her bejeweled head in affirmation. Through small sobs, Mrs. Prescott looked up into the strange man's dark eyes. (sighs)
2: How how could you possibly have known that? No, no one here knew my grandmother. I haven't spoken to anyone about her.
3: The professor took the crying woman's hands, soft with a life of leisure and rings on every finger, and brought them closer to his chest looking deeply into her eyes.
1: Because she told me, my fine lady. And she wants you to know. She knows it was you, not Reginald, that broke her vase in the hall when you were five. She wasn't thin, nor is she now in any way upset. She is so proud of the woman you've become.
3: Paimon pulled away slowly from the woman's ear, brushed the tears from her cheeks to the sounds of ahs and sighs from the audience, then turned to the crowd. Hyman gently kissed her hand and gestured for her to join her husband, Fergus, in the crowd.
1: Let's have a hearty round of applause for Mrs. Prescott. As our time together comes to a close, my esteemed ladies and gentlemen, how about another rousing hand for my young assistant, Miss Calliope Calibus?
3: The professor gestured to Calliope, as she walked in between the crowd bedazzled and fitted in a striking blue gown by the twins hair piled tall on her head in the fashion of a much more mature lady waiting to signal to choose the next volunteer for the last reading of the night the sudden call for singular attention on her caused her face to flush she curtsied slightly as the crowd applauded her, nodding in the direction of Professor Pyman. Her task had been simple. The professor had given her the instructions in great detail. She would walk through the crowd, slightly behind an attendee, and look to the professor as he was orating about some story from mysterious lands of the old world. When he identified the person he wished to read... He would place the first two fingers of his left hand to his left temple and say something to the effect of, I am
1: feeling a call from beyond the veil, a distant echo from the past. Miss Calibus! Clivey knew
3: that was her cue to approach the person she was standing behind and reply,
2: Professor, do you feel a draw to this person?
1: Yes, my dear.
3: Calliope would then ask the selected person for an item, a small article they carried with them to be given to the professor for the reading. First it was Mrs. Prescott's handkerchief, a gift from her grandmother. Then Mr. Edgerton's pocket watch, which the professor was able to use to contact his great-great-grandfather, who fell during the war for independence of this country. Paimon was able to give great detail, only known to Mr. Edgerton. The watch had been passed from father to son for generations, until Mr. Edgerton's grandfather had no sons. Therefore, the watch passed to his daughter Esther, who, in turn, passed it to her son, keeping the tradition alive and strong. The professor took a similar turn when Mr. Rutherford, the cotton baron, as well as when Mrs. Delmore, Mrs. Fitzgerald, and all the others were selected to be read. Clienty collected herself from her impromptu curtsy and continued her sojourn around the room, waiting for a signal from the
2: professor. How was he able to glean all this information from these people? Certainly, even reading the society papers, no one could know so many things. The details he spoke of... All of them were so taken aback at the revelations, I must ask him how he did it."
3: As she continued weaving slowly through the room, she overheard a younger woman quietly talking with her former schoolmate, Luella Edgerton. Both were expressing their astonishment at the professor's seemingly supernatural ability. The man she assumed to be the first young woman's husband abruptly broke in with a harsh tone.
1: Politrix Ha! Nothing more than politrix. I know this man. He's a charlatan. I hear he's an antique dealer. A freak show owner. Nothing more than that.
3: Calliope was quite shocked by this young man's crass behavior and speech. But she knew who he was. This overgrown brat was the son of a very very affluent family who had long been involved in various endeavors captains of industry and greed the proverbial apple hadn't fallen far from the crooked tree though the name escaped her at the moment the impression of having met him once before in her earlier school days hadn't left Clype’s efforts to recall the surname were cut short when the heir left the room extinguishing the candles and rendering the once-roaring fire
1: to low, glowing embers. The young lady directly in front of you was Calypso. dark hair with the eagle hairpin, wearing the royal blue dress and a most exquisite necklace with a large, gray stone. Calliope was
3: taken by surprise as the professor had his back to her facing the opposite direction of the room. She looked to the first young woman who she heard speak, who had her excitement quelled by the harsh words of her husband. Calliope approached the guest and escorted her forward. The dutiful assistant, Calliope quietly asked for an item to give the professor for the reading. Having heard the professor specifically call out the eagle hairpin, the young woman reached up to take down her raven locks to hand over the ornament.
1: <laughs> no, young lady, I'm afraid the hairpin won't do. Your necklace, my dear. The voices calling out from beyond are screaming. Only the necklace will do.
3: The young woman's face turned from surprised smile to a fearful frown as her hand slowly made its way up to the heavy piece of jewelry around her delicate neck. The professor turned to close the distance between him and his last volunteer, just short of her face. Towering over the young woman, he leaned in close to her, closer than Calliope would have felt to be comfortable. She could smell the scent of sandalwood. Dr. Grisham had worn sandalwood too, mixed with myrrh and... Another fragrance she couldn't quite place. Calliope, still standing near the professor's next subject, took a half-step backwards. She had never seen this kind of intensity on the face of this mysterious man. Since meeting him, she had only seen him as jovial and commanding, albeit mysterious, but something. Something flickered in his eyes just now that made ice run through her veins. She would never have called him nice, perhaps amiable, but only at arm's length, guarded, and dark somehow, but never overtly angry. As he leaned down, turning his head into the dark-haired woman's ear, his ominous gaze slowly diverted and rose to her husband. Their eyes locked, and the pompous younger man's eyes narrowed in contempt. Paimon slowly spoke to the man's wife.
1: There are revelations I have for you. It is imperative you hear them, but they will only reveal themselves with the help of that most spectacular stone please madam the
3: necklace the young woman cocked her head to meet Pyman's gaze her own wide and expressionless as though all conscious thought had ceased firing in her brain lifting his left hand in front of her he slowly wordlessly brought it closer the woman as if in a trance reached up and clasped her necklace and placed it in his empty palm. His fingers slowly closed around the impressive piece of jewelry and for a moment, he closed his eyes as if taking in the scent of a fine wine. He clasped her right hand in his and brought it to his lips, lightly kissing the
1: soft skin. Thank you, Mrs. Lydia Whittington you are a lovely lovely creature you deserve so much better please accept my most sincere apology in advance for the words about to meet your ears but you'll be all the better for it on the morrow
3: the woman stuttered in amazement she had not told the professor her name I'm in turned to the
1: crowd. Now, young lady, I know the question on your heart, the doubts, the loneliness that have kept you awake in the wee hours of the night. You yearn for the truth about your husband and his dealings.
3: The young woman rose unsteadily, as if in intoxicated by the professor's proximity, her hand coming to her chest. She cleared her throat, slightly shook her head as if to clear a haze, wobbling as the professor strode away from her into the waiting arms of her husband, who quickly hurled her
1: aside. Just who in the hell do you think you are, sir?
3: Hyman turned slowly. Necklace in hand, this is the drunken man that was the lovely young woman's spoiled husband stumbled forward, finger-pointed, jabbing the air in the professor's direction.
1: I said, who the fuck
0: do you think you are? (gasps) Andy! How can you speak like that in the company of my fish? Shut
1: your, your whore mouth, I'll deal with you later.
3: The man turned his focus back on the professor, who now had a dangerous grin across his face, teeth gleaming behind his perfectly groomed beard and mustache. And he continued his tirade
1: unabated. Do you know who I am? Ugh. Circus man, I'll have you and your freaks driven into the Hudson for this.
3: He lunged for the necklace, and the professor easily dodged the clumsy attempt. Pyman brought his index finger to his own lips.
1: I know who you are. Andrew John Whittington. I know exactly who you are. The real you. The you that hides behind his status and wealth in this life.
3: The professor's voice began to rise louder so everyone in attendance could hear his words. A comedic air had entered the professor's voice and mannerisms as he walked to and fro where everyone had gathered. He turned away from the seething man, searching out his wife in the crowd. For all the world, it was as though the professor and young Andrew were now the only two people in the room. The rest of the partygoers and servants seemingly melted into the background, hugging the parlor walls and finding refuge near the tables and furniture on the fringe of the room.
1: The young woman's eyes widened at the mention of her name. My beautiful Lydia... Please remember what I told you at the onset of all of this, won't you love? (laughs) Parlor tricks, you say. Do you care to tell your wife where her mother's heirloom rings have disappeared to? Hmm? Or perhaps I could expound on your activities at the bathhouse you frequent on the Lower East Side with your... Business partner. Peter, is it? Or... Should we ask your father to investigate why your considerable trust fund has hemorrhaged almost to nothing? Or better yet, perhaps we should take a stroll around Central Park and visit the London Plain near East 96th and see what fertilizer is being used to make it grow. Shall I, the charlatan, continue further? I know your sins, boy. You! You! have forgotten who I am.
3: Pyman stepped away from the pale man. Andrew was left agape and slumped against the table that held the punch bowl. The professor, as if the last few minutes had been merely a hallucination of everyone in attendance, took back up his showman-like form He smiled broadly and gestured towards the room's occupants.
1: And that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude tonight's entertainment. I thank you all for your participation and wish to express my extreme gratitude to Mr. Edgerton's substantial contribution to the Calibus Brothers Circus. I have deeply enjoyed my journey into the innermost workings of your hearts and minds. Good night, dear people. The
3: partygoers awkwardly began to clap their hands, but the apparent discomfort began to fade as Mr. Edgerton approached the professor and shook his hand vigorously, thanking him for entertaining them. His body language clearly demonstrating that the professor had mesmerized him and his closest friends. He clapped Pyman's back with a hearty blow and offered him a cigar as Miss Lydia's eyes found the professor's, and he winked at her, necklace still in hand. Not to be outdone, Miss Luella Edgerton rushed to the center of the room, pushing her way between the professor and her father. She was a pinch-faced girl whose Wispy brown hair was decorated with multitudes of feathers and flowers. They quivered and flopped every time she moved her head. Paimon observed that they served as more of a distraction from her sallowness, rather than ornaments to augment any traces of beauty, of which there were few. Luella cleared her throat.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we have a second exciting guest here tonight.
3: Murmurs rose through the crowd like a gathering mist on a riverbank.
2: Why, it's our own dear Miss Calliope, Grisham Calibus, who assisted our...
3: Luella turned and gave Pyman an uncertain look, wincing slightly as he widened his grin in such a way that would make any cautious person's blood run cold.
2: Very talented and observant, Professor
3: Clype gasped audibly, uncertain <gasps> I, of what was happening. I, I, yes, um, she assisted Pyman, but I, what did she have to do with anything other than the show? What was Luella Who had spoken to her for all of thirty seconds tonight? Playing at,
2: you may recall, dear friends, that Miss Grisham Calibus suffered a tragic loss, as her guardian was one of the men murdered, no mutilated, ever so horribly at the church, not even a fortnight ago, and now a priest on Coney Island has suffered the same fate, right here in our very own city. Why, if you've not read the papers, the poor father was hung from a cross in his own church, eyes burned out just like poor Dr. Grisham's.
3: Voices grew louder as people uttered exclamations of horror, men fanning themselves and men tisking into their whiskey tumblers, eyes searching the room for the girl in the bright blue peacock dress and very suddenly calliope found herself at the center of the room as the new main attraction luella walked toward calliope and grasped her arm
2: you see miss grisham calibus and i are the closest of friends aren't we calliope
3: calliope was speechless Luella had barely spoken to her when they were in school together. They never exchanged even one letter in the last three years. Nor had ever been a guest at one of the Edgerton's homes prior to this evening.
2: I, I don't know what you want, oh, my dear, dear friend. I'm sure you'd be happy to answer anyone's questions about Dr. Grisham and your life.
3: Excitement rose in the crowd. Voices reaching a pitch as a throng of the curious descended on the two women in the center of the room. Calliope felt her pulse quicken and the blood rise to her cheeks. A well-dressed lady in grey silk fawned over Calliope and stepped forward, taking Calliope's arm.
0: Oh, you poor child. How tragic and scandalous. Are you afraid for your own life, my dear? Quite dreadful indeed.
2: Tell me, young lady, were you be very fond of Dr. Grisham's eyes?
3: Calliope opened her mouth, but no sound came out. The crowd hurled more questions at her, and they seemed to land off their mark, voices shattering like shrapnel boisterous din nearly unmanageable she returned polite smiles and answered a few questions but there was nothing she wanted more than to leave for someone to rescue her professor please where was the professor Kalliope's frantic gaze finally found the spot in front of the fireplace where the professor had stood with Mr. Edgerton. But as she turned around, it became evident the professor was gone. She stood alone. A fortress walls were being fired on, not by cannon, but by morbid curiosity and idle minds. The show had gone neatly, according to plan, except for the boy. Not that the professor truly cared who Andrew Whittington convorted with at the bathhouse or where he squandered his fortune. Though the drunken Lot's wife certainly might. Pyman stood on the wet brick streets, examining Lydia's necklace while waiting for Calliope to escape the clutches of New York's socialites. Yes. This was the one. This was right. The ancient legends told of stones so powerful they could be used to view the far corners of the universe. The smoking mirrors. Created by others of his kind and left here on Earth. The intensity of the artifact was like a a of the home he had left behind long ago. Pymond could feel the energy, the power surging through the hazy stone in the center. The large capuchon was cloudy gray, and streaked with obsidian and white, as large as a hen's egg and heavy. He took off a glove, and let his fingers curl around the stone. The heat of it almost made him let go, but he held on, closed his eyes, and... Andrew almost surprised him. Almost. He emerged from the shadows of the alley, a small two-shot Derringer pistol in his right hand, visible under the sputtering street lamps. Tears streaking down his face and madness had taken hold in his blue eyes, furious and dark like the steeping storm clouds. He leveled the firearm at the professor's chest.
1: Who? Who told you these things? I am ruined because of you! A name! A name, man! You give me a name, or this will have been your last performance, you!
3: Before the drunken man could continue, Pyman had already closed the distance between them and taken hold of Andrew's wrist. The gun fell harmlessly to the ground, clattering against the pavement of a nearby sidewalk, while Pyman shoved the necklace in his jacket pocket with one hand and crushed the man's arm with his other. Andrew's scream, at first drowned out by a fresh clap of thunder, became inaudible. as pyman brought his now-free second hand to the man's throat, lifting him up in the flickering light of the street lamps. Their shadows danced on the street below, while the storm-ridden sky was lit up like hellfire by the violent lightning accompanied by thunder that crashed in
1: wave after wave. Who? Who told me, spare me your feigned indignation. I knew who you truly were the moment I laid eyes upon you, you petulant child. Pulling a gun, huh? <laughs> you have some stones, I'll give you that. But, you should have come better armed.
3: Andrew felt a brief, sharp sting in the left side of his chest. The feeling gave way to a cool dullness causing him to writhe like a worm on a hook for just a moment. Andrew's eyes traveled from the professor's grinning face to the source of the dull ache he now felt in his chest. The drunken man observed a long, elegant blade inserted it up to its ornate hilt, protruding from his chest at an angle. He was very much in his cups, but the realization that he had been stabbed had not been lost on him. He thought he would have watched as his life put spilled out of his body under the streets of Manhattan. But, much to his surprise, and now shock, not a single drop of blood left the wound. Instead, Andrew watched helplessly as a strange, opaque light swirled and wrapped itself around the hilt, then to Paimon's hand, traveling up his arm. At that moment, Andrew's eyes lifted and met the professor's. Those eyes. The odd light now flooding from his wound advanced up to Paimon's face. The professor breathed in a slow, deep breath. The anomalous light disappeared into his mouth. Pyman's eyes closed briefly, then roared to life as he opened them once again. The last thing Andrew Winnington saw before life left him was Professor Pyman leering at him with what looked like fire burning in his eyes. Calliope hid behind one of the large maples just outside the townhome's gate. Having finally escaped the curious onlookers and partygoers by claiming she was about to swoon, Clypey had rushed to the outside to take some air and came across the professor having words with Lydia Whittington's husband. She stopped short as the thunder clapped, and Andrew was lifted off the ground by Professor Pyman. She rested against the tree and tried to understand what she had just witnessed. As Pyman stood over the man's body. The door opened behind her and this time it was Lydia. She ran to the crumpled mass that was her husband, followed by a group of New York's most well-to-do citizens. Mr. Prescott and Mr. Edgerton followed close behind, surveying the scene.
0: Andrew! Mark! Professor,
1: what has happened here? We heard the thunder and the wind and were sure the windows would blow out. And the lightning. Goodness, sir. What in God's name? Damn it all. Had I only been a moment quicker, I could have caught the muggers who perpetrated this heinous crime. Quickly, notify the authorities. The culprits ran off down that alley. Vagabonds, the pair of them. Why, Miss Calibus saw the whole thing. Did you not, dear?
3: Calliope pushed past the crowd to stand before Pyman. She didn't respond. She couldn't take her eyes off the broken form of Andrew Whittington. Calliope just blinked at the professor. The two of them. Like the calm in the eye of a frenzied hurricane of party guests and onlookers.
1: I'm afraid there's nothing to be done for poor young Andrew. It seems the wound is mortal. Come now. Let us take our leave of this gruesome scene. Calliope didn't move.
3: She stood. Frozen.
1: And transfixed, I said, my dear young lady, that it is time to take our leave.
2: Professor, what have you done?
1: Ha, nothing more than was required, I assure you. Now, if you please.
2: I'm not going anywhere with you.
1: My patience is running thin after the events of this evening, girl. So, let me enlighten you. You were here as the evening's entertainment every bit as much as I was. Except, I was paid handsomely for my services. Miss Luella Edgerton extended you no such contract. You were an attraction. A curiosity. Oh, "'Here's the daughter of the man who was murdered so gruesomely. Let's have a look at her.'" Cliope swallowed hard against the lump in her throat.
3: "'It was one thing to come to that revelation on her
1: own, but quite another to hear it spoken out loud.'" "'My people, at least, are under my protection. "'I ensure no one mistreats them, even if they are there for a performance.'" Now, you see the elite of New York for what they really are. Everyone is just here for a show, my dear. So now, if you please. When she
3: stood frozen once again, the professor reached out and took Calliope by the arm in
1: a vice-like grip. We're leaving.
3: Calliope struggled a bit, but she knew it would be a losing battle. Still sorting out the hurt of Luella, putting her on display, and the impossibility of the things she saw, she gave in and followed Pyman as he dove into the throngs of onlookers. As they pushed through the crowd, Andrew's wife, tears streaming down her face, ran
1: after them.
0: Professor! Professor! My necklace!
1: Ah, yes. Miss Lydia. Please accept our heartfelt condolences on your loss this evening.
0: Sir, please. The necklace is family heirloom. It's been in my family... Your
1: family for years. Centuries, actually. I'm very well aware. I could even tell you from whence the jewel adorning the center originated. The smoky-looking gray and white jewel in the center. Stunning, I know. Iman sighed
3: and took her by the hand once again. With a polite
1: bow, he continued. Sweet Lydia, I'm afraid your husband Andrew made a business transaction with me and offered this necklace as payment for my services. I am so very sorry for the inconvenience, but as you now know, your husband's business decisions were not wholly sound. However, perhaps you and I could make some sort of arrangement. A contract, if you will, for its safe return to your family. Once the conditions of the agreement have been met, of course.
3: Paimon smiled that smile again. His face somehow growing darker. He bowed and handed his card to the new widow, who just stared ahead in obvious shock. Calliope felt a jolt of terror shoot from her stomach up to the base of her skull. She quickly pulled from Paimon's grip, calling his attention to her. She looked up at him, hearing the shakiness in her own voice.
2: Professor! We are needed back at the circus, yes?
3: As Pyman clicked his tongue and looked up at the sky, she cast her gaze to Lydia quickly, and mouthed the word, "Go." The professor looked down at her and,
1: reluctantly, agreed with a shrug. "Yes, Miss Calibus. Indeed, our attentions are required elsewhere. My dear Lydia, I bid you a very fond farewell." There is much happiness in your future. You shan't be a widow for long. Until we meet again. Paimon tipped his hat and turned to brush past Calliope. It's time to go, girl. Don't make me say it again.
3: Calliope and Lydia shared a wide-eyed look in the midst of a stunned silence. Then... Calliope turned and followed, disappearing with Pyman into the slowly rolling fog of Manhattan Island.
1: Halcyon, the Book of Pyman podcast and all its <laughs> entities, are a production of Pyman Media LLC, all rights reserved. Halcyon, the Book of Pyman, is written by James Gray and Shannon Lynn, directed and edited by Jared Huffaker. Music and sound effects provided by Epidemic Sound. All episodes are available wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And I, Professor Pyman, ask for you to please rate, review, and subscribe and visit halcyonpodcast.com for more information.